0: Bring me the greatest bear ass.
1: Hello, and welcome. This is House of Bards. Uh, I'm Beth, and this is Alex. Hello. We, we are a podcast um about role-playing games and the character development therein of um, how to create a world, how to do stuff. We didn't have a proper episode last week because mistakes sometimes happen and no one's perfect. Yeah. And the gap between man and technology is sometimes vast.
0: Yes. I feel if we do the magic versus technology episode, this may reflect which side we come down on. um so this week um we are going to talk about creatures like monsters uh enemies uh, and environments that they might live in that the players might have to navigate monsters are perhaps not the backbone of uh a lot of role-playing they don't even appear in some uh, role-playing games but certainly in games like D and D, monsters are a pretty big part.
1: Mm, yeah, there are. Uh, I guess they really fulfil the dragons' criteria of the Dungeons and Dragons bit. Mm. Uh, they though not necessarily always dragons, but dungeons and bugbears. Not really that catchy of a title. Mm. Um, but
0: yeah, uh, monsters are good because they represent obstacles that sit in the player's way of completing some kind of task that are able to like. Not just sit there and be like a wall that they have to get over or something, which is important, I think, for challenging players and also for like expressing the uh, inherent danger of a particular environment, which might be relevant to your story. Yeah. So, with that in mind, um...
1: I think it's important to remember that it depends where a creature lives and where you're going to encounter it. You know, you're probably not going to encounter a polar bear in a forest
0: Mm. yes that's very true um when we talk about monsters and we talk about environments those two things are quite closely married together in terms of what's going to appear where what makes sense thematically to turn up in what kind of environment and the sort of threats that players can learn to expect from certain environments which as a player is perhaps a good thing to know um yeah. It's not honestly even really metagaming.
1: Yeah, it's common sense, isn't yeah. it? It's just using your brain. I mean, maybe about, if it's... there are like
0: specific monsters that you think will turn up in certain environments that are like, you know, made, like properly made up, maybe that's that's going a little bit into shady territory. But if you think, Oh, um, this is a very cold tundra like place, so I'm probably gonna encounter a lot of like furry, cold based monsters here, that's that's not really yeah. uh... like a huge stretch. Of the imagination.
1: Although I guess it's always good to keep your players on the toes and, you know, throw a yeti in a tropical island every once in a while. But there's got to be a reason why that yeti's there.
0: Oh, for sure. Um, Um, It's fine if a monster is dissonant with the environment that it's in, as long as there's a reason. In general, when it comes to, like, placing enemies in front of the players and the makeup of the environment, you can do pretty much anything so long as there's a reason for it. I feel like some DMs might say that that's like not incredibly important because it's not going to come up in the game and honestly I feel that the the likelihood that it might is sufficient that it's a good idea to do.
1: And it also enriches the world a bit, doesn't it? If you have monsters that are out of place and you can explain why they're there, it I kind of links back into the technology episode a bit, yeah. doesn't it? But like, I think
0: even if, if the things aren't particularly dissonant, just knowing a lot of the reasoning behind that is good. Like That's good information to have because it means that you can take encounters and players navigating environments in a lot more different directions depending on what your players do. Like, for instance... If they encounter some kind of monster, right? Um, Where does this creature live? Presumably here. Uh, Where does it come from? Not necessarily here. You know, might not be the same kind of environment that it's used to. Uh, You could ask questions like, "Is it intelligent?" Um, Which opens up a whole load of of uh, of of topics, like you know, whether it can be reasoned with, whether it's like just wandering there or whether it has an agenda. Um, It also means like uh, in combat, that's going to be important. Like, does it? Like, how does it engage animals yeah. and like um animal-minded monsters quite often um i uh, see dms who like make them fight to the death and honestly there are only a small number of like scenarios where they would even do that where that would make sense
1: yeah like animals that are desperate for food would definitely fight mm. to the death because it's like well if i don't Kill you, I'm going to die anywhere later on. And
0: also, if they're like protecting their nest or den.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Or if they're being Uh, forced by a greater threat, like towards you, and they're desperate about something, then they might like fight to the death. But otherwise, it's really not worth their while. And quite a lot of like non military sapient beings as well would probably have the same philosophy. I mean, it's perfectly fine for the players to disengage from combat when they're like gonna, when they think they're gonna lose a fight so why do you think that the monsters wouldn't?
1: Yeah. Um, And obviously that's totally different if players are seeking out a monster if they have to go kill this specific creature in order to complete a quest or favour from someone. Bring me Um, the greatest bear ass. (laughs) Bring me ten bear asses! Um... (laughs) And um, (laughs) god bare ass anyway but that's that's the place seeking something out and it's entirely possible that part of the difficulty of that is the fact that once the creature cottons onto these people are going to kill me and possibly rip the skin from my still warm corpse i have to get out of here and make it back to my den and escape and that's part of the challenge
0: yeah yeah absolutely um obviously uh when it comes to sapient beings strictly regimented militant sapient beings like hobgoblins might well fight to the death if they're ordered to and sapient beings who like you know maybe paladins who have like a strong sense of personal honor they might also fight to the death if they believe that the the fight is just um but beyond that yeah it's it's not it's not a thing that people or animals generally do it's not worth your while it's like who even are these people why should i get myself killed fighting them i can just run away and not have to deal with them or, like, come back later with more people or something. Think about the reasoning behind a monster encounter and you'll know a lot more about how the monster might behave. And and actually, um, that thing about, like, coming back with with, uh, with reinforcements, that's a good idea if you like that idea in terms of the monster's behavior, but you don't really like letting the players off the hook for every fight. It's like, okay, what, what does... The players winning that fight mean to the monster that's still alive. Like, what significance does that have? Because it probably does have some. It's like, oh, they've they've taken our territory. They've taken my territory. I am bear. Um, they are endangering something that I don't want them to get near. Or it's a matter of personal honor. Not enough to get killed killed over, but you know, gonna come back and uh, and beat them up. So. Yeah, like, knowing about what the motivations of your monsters are, even just a little bit, is really going to help with that.
1: Like most creatures in the world, all they want to do is survive and live, but occasionally, yes, and some creatures want to protect as well. Um, But, obviously, creatures that are a bit more intelligent, I mean, this is even in the real world, you know, crows and elephants, many other creatures, have a sense of revenge. If you do something bad to an elephant, you you know, you might be in for it. (laughs) And crows can remember faces as well, and then they tell other crows. So this does happen in real life. Intelligent creatures do have a sense of vengeance.
0: Of course, something else to consider um, in terms of environments is it's a good idea to think about, like, why is this here? And even beyond that point, okay, we've established that this is here. What about the people and the animals and the monsters that live here, like what are they going to be like? Maybe if it's a very oppressive mm. climate in that environment, then the people there are going to be a bit harsh and a bit hardy, because it's not easy to live there.
1: Yeah, mm. uh, people who live in sunnier climates tend to be a bit more uh, free and easy with affection. That that isn't. I'm not. I'm not calling everyone from the Mediterranean slutty. I just want to. I mean, friendly, platonically friendly. I'm not. Implying any kind of um, you know people from the Mediterranean are very friendly and amiable and passionate about life. whereas if you've ever traveled to the north of England, you'll know we're all miserable fucking bastards so
0: can confirm. Um, so yeah, it's it's I think good to have a variety of environments in your game world just because that means you have a variety of stages on which to set a variety of encounters. And have like different kinds of people with different kinds of outlooks on life. So that's a good idea. Yeah. Um, mm. You do run the risk of running into like Minecraft syndrome. Where you've got like a bunch of very, very yeah. diverse biomes sitting right next to each other. If you haven't quite made your world big mm. enough.
1: Yeah, you've got like this amazing, wonderful, icy tundra winter wonderland that just cuts off straight into desert, and it's like wait, what?
0: Yeah, Um. but yeah it it, it is a good idea to do that, because then you can be like okay, um, this is uh, tundra so the people who live here are going to be pretty hardy um, probably going to move in small communities um, hunt a lot, don't grow a lot, uh, whereas
1: If some people live on the edge of just a forest, they're probably, um, you know, maybe a farming community and they're a bit more settled and they are maybe... There's probably like some mysticism about the forest in somewhere, Um, you know, don't go into the forest at night, uh, etc. Which is completely fair. Um, We might be skipping ahead topics slightly, but I know that people that live by rivers often have like... um, like river hags, don't they, in their folklore. Yeah, it's quite a quite lot thing.
0: of monsters that turn up in folklore, uh, at least in European folklore, will be related to things, like environments that are nearby and that are understandable. Yeah. Um, I think with that, we could go into um, the topic of creating your own monsters, because yeah. at some point you're going to have to do that no matter how much of the stuff from the monster manual you're like i'm gonna use that in this convoluted situation eventually you're gonna run out and there's gonna more likely you're gonna run a scenario where there's like a specific enemy that your players need to fight that isn't really like human and can't be templated as an npc but isn't really in like the monster manual as it stands and of course if like it's not entirely your idea then that problem will get like less bad in the future when there are more supplements released to the monster manual, which I presume will happen. It has happened in pretty much all, uh, editions up until now. So I don't see why it wouldn't happen with fifth edition. And indeed if you're running earlier editions, it has probably already happened. Um, in this particular situation, um, a website I would recommend for second edition is called Lomian.de. Um, I think that's that's the the site itself. Uh, You might have to go further down the tree for um, what I'm referring to, but it's basically a compilation of all of the monster manuals for 2nd edition with the monsters not sorted but visually tagged by setting origin. So it will tell you if a monster first appeared in like Spelljammer or Dark Sun or um, Forgotten Realms or Greyhawk or was just in the monster manual to begin with, Uh, which is really, really good. Um, Or I find it really, really good because the actual monster manual doesn't do this, Um, which is really, really helpful when you're looking for, the two that I like um, having separate are Spelljammer and Ravenloft because Ravenloft and Spelljammer have monsters in them that don't necessarily fit into anything else very well. Dark Sun has kind of the same problem. Uh, and, of course, uh, Planescape, but Planescape can sometimes, like, work out all right. Um, but I know I've had problems with, like, Ravenloft in particular, where I'm like, uh, obviously now there's Varash in Dawn Somber which can, like, take all the really creepy uh, gothic horror Ravenloft stuff. But there wasn't before, and then it was like, eh, this stuff doesn't really fit into my world very well. Um. But, yeah, really, really good uh, resource. Lomian.de, I will put a link in the... Uh, video description um so if you're playing second edition or if you're willing to do the legwork to convert those monsters to other editions uh it's a really really good um just compilation of all of the, of the monsters that were ever like released for that edition but i gone slightly off topic i think because we, we were talking about making your own monsters weren't we
1: yeah yeah uh
0: but yeah you you will eventually have to do this um because there'll be some part of your plot that requires a custom monster and um, if it's an actual monster, this is something I at least would recommend you be quite careful with because generally there'll be an aesthetic to your campaign that is keyed around like the culture and folklore of a certain like society in real life. And a lot of our cultures in reality have like folkloric milieus as it were as like there's so, sort of like weird vaguely defined unwritten rules about what aesthetically fits into like different cultures folklore and it's much easier to like determine from the end result whether it's worked or not because you can look at something and you'd be like okay yeah that looks like it could be from german folklore or from like english uh, folklore or or whatever um than it is to actually properly like know what um yeah, the, the, than it is to tell while you're making the thing what that might, uh, what those those qualities might be that that yeah, yeah. that, that fitted in there.
1: Like a, a, a lot of European folklore is to sort of reinforce behaviour, like don't go into the woods at night, uh don't get too near the river because it will you know don't get too near the river and running water because it will you know sweep you in and drag you down tide, uh don't you know don't skip church because religion that yeah. kind of a thing
0: <laughs> isn't there a, <laughs> you know not there a poem about that
1: the lampton worm yeah for those of you who don't know what the lampton worm is it is this poem or legend and it's from northeast england um and it takes place on the river wear um and it's it's honestly one of the most famous pieces of folklore that we have um you know it's a bit of oral tradition a bit of pantomime um, I remember being quite young and seeing a uh, Punch and Judy show about this, although obviously not Punch and Judy because Punch and Judy's a different kind of show to the Lambton Worm. But it was the puppeteer was very good. He had he had like a big, like, Lambton Worm puppet. Um, anyway. Um, and it revolves around John Lampton and he's the heir of the Lampton Estate in County Durham and he battles a giant worm uh, or a dragon. It's a dragon, really. Um, and it's been terrorising the local villages and the story, generally, is that he, uh you know, that, like, he skipped church to go fishing one day because he's a f- fucking fuckstick of a person, apparently. Um But what really makes this stand out is the very thick Jody accent you read the poem out in, um which I will now commit to. But i c- got to get in character. Biker Grove. Biker Grove. Okay. One Sunday morning, young Lambton went a-fishing in the way and catched a fish upon his hook u- and thought it looked very queer. But what an din of fish it was, young Lampdom couldn't tell, and he went a fish and carried em, and soon it down a well. And then the chorus goes like this. Wish lads ha- had ye gobs, and I'll tell you all an awful story. Wish lads had ye gobs, and I'll tell you boot the worm. New Lampdom felt inclined to gan, and fight in foreign wars. He joined a troop of knights that cared for neither wounds nor scars, and he went off to Palestine where queer things in befell. I very soon forgot about the queer worm in the well. I should I should stare that like queer meant a different thing back then, but it is funny to pretend that queer things happened to John and Palenstein.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but the worm got fat and grew and grew, and grewed an awful size. He'd great big teeth, a great big gob, and great big googly eyes And when he neats and crawled about to pick up bits o' news, he felt dry upon the road, and milk a dozen coos. I really don't think Geordi's say cows like coos, by the way. I've talked to Geordies, They just say a cow. Anyway. This fearful worm would often feed on calves and lambs and sheep and swallow little barns alive when laid down to sleep. And when he eaten all he could and he had his fill, he crawled away and leapt his tail ten times round Penshaw Hill. Which is Penshaw Hill's local landmark in Newcastle. The news of this most awful worm and his quay g- <laughs> ganon's on, damn it. Soon cross the seas, get to the ears of brave and bold Sir John. So army came and catched the beast and cut it into halves, and soon stopped is eatin' bands and sheep and lambs and calves. So now you know all about the folk on both sides of the lost lots of sheep and and lots of sleep and leaved in mortal fear. So let's have one to brave Sir John that kept the bands from arm, saved coos and calves by making halves on the famous Lampton Warm. Now, we lads, I'd me gob. Now, we lads, about the story, Sir John Clever's job with the awful lampton Worm.
0: I'd have offered to help, but I've got the poem in front of me, and I honestly would not have done better. I think Beth no. has the upper hand over no. me here by having, like, actually met Geordie's. Yeah. Uh, I I will interject though that uh, there there's quite a lot of places in the north of uh, Great Britain that share this particular uh, piece of dialect. Uh, but for some some of our uh, more geographically diverse listeners. Who may not know a bairn is a small child. I think technically it can refer to any kind of child, but it's generally supposed to mean a child under the age of ten. So yeah. the Lambton worm eats children, among other things. Yeah, which, given it's presumably like around the time of the Crusades, was probably not like as horrifying as it is now. At least in comparison to like having your cows and sheep eaten, because you can make more children. Like, it's sad when they die, yeah. but if all your cows and sheep are dead, you're probably going to die in the winter. And then you'll be all dead and you can't make any more children, so you lose your children yeah. as well.
1: But, I mean, in the end, the problem was sorted out anyway because uh, John came back from Palenstein from his big gay adventure, apparently, and um, killed the worm. We don't judge you, sir, John, not on this podcast. That's not what the Crusades were, by the way. They were a terrible, horrible thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that was it was fucked up yeah um but yeah with that in mind um different cultures have different ways of defining aspects of their folklore like um in a lot of western europe um here and i think in, in like france and germany and so on there'll be a lot of uh folklore that is about um you know as you said like caution Cautionary tales to reinforce behaviors and it will be based on familiar concepts so quite a lot of the monsters in our folklore will be like giant or otherwise more dangerous versions of animals that people would be aware of so we have like stories about really big dogs for instance yeah
1: yeah um like i mean the french have werewolves don't they which is like the ultimate form of like man and beast really isn't Mm. it i'm pretty sure werewolves started in france anywhere I don't know. Maybe.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe.
1: But uh, yeah, they're they're all about generally either deep-seated fears or they're about um deep-seated fears or they're moral tales generally. That's yeah. what I'm trying to get but, at?
0: But or but as if by comparison, yeah. uh, so I have heard. If you look at say Japan, quite a lot of the monsters in their folklore are allegorical for yeah like feelings or behaviours or something like that, there's a deeper message behind the story of the monster, rather than, like, having a very practical application in uh, yeah. the world, so they have, like, a more philosophical meaning, rather than just, like, a way of controlling behaviour
1: I mean, I'm I'm not sure what a Kappa's deep philosophical meaning is um,
0: I try not to ask, to be honest
1: <laughs> I mean you know, they, they have the hot like I mean, they suck people's organs out through their bum holes, I don't know what the deep philosophical meaning of that is <laughs> don't go into strange i don't know i don't know don't do that <laughs> is it okay i don't, of know. Course, I don't, I don't know, know i don't like,
0: know how much of this is particularly relevant in a world where all of the folkloric monsters like are real that might be bad yeah <laughs> mm. but really you know like like i'd say take your time if there's a particular yeah. aesthetic you're trying to fit a monster into you might not get it right first try um so like try and research on like the particular aesthetic that you're probably ripping off unless you're going to be like very multicultural and jumbly or if you're doing science fiction then whatever um but like do take your time and do a little bit of research i think about like what kind of themes are likely to go down well um something that you can do that's very quick is templating a monster off another monster you're probably going to do this anyway in cases where like A monster that is an incredibly simple concept that happens not to exist in the monster manual is something you need. Like, for instance, a giant spider that's bigger than the spiders that are already in the monster manual. You're like, okay, I'll just take the stats from one of these other similar monsters and they'll be fine. Maybe add, like, a boosted up version of the attack of the actual giant spider or something. Um, But you can also, like, take variants of existing monsters and, like, change them up for different environments. Like, you know, there are, like, different kinds of... uh, particular animals that, like, live in the desert or live in the, the tundra. Like, foxes. There's arctic foxes, and then there's, like, foxes that live in, like, forests and shit. And bins. There's, like, the bin fox. That's a variant of of foxes. I know zoology. Um, yeah. But no, like, seriously, you can have, like, the small, like, big-eared one that lives in the desert, and you can have, like, the the really, like, chubby, fluffy one that lives in the... And, like, often that will probably just be aesthetic... Um, uh, that you have, like, different variants, but sometimes you'd be like, okay, uh, maybe this particular variant has, like, giant horns, because they ha- live in a much smaller space, so they, like, fight each other a lot. And then you have to contend with that. There's a whole lot of stuff that you can make up just by making variants on existing monsters, which is, saves you a lot of work. Uh, if I could make a personal request, though, when you are making monsters, mimics that turn into things that aren't chests. Please! So many times in like so many monster manuals and so many games I see Mimics and the only thing that Mimics can turn into is chests and never in any of these implementations is it actually explicitly stated that the only thing that Mimics can turn into is chests. It's just that's the only thing they do turn into.
1: My favourite one is Mimics' as doors. I do remember um, playing a D&D game. Was I watching it? I don't know. Can't remember. Where they went to go through a door. And it was in fact a mimic, and they but they had like quite a long conversation with the door beforehand, so they would have assumed it was a mimic, right? But nah, they just went straight ahead inside and got eaten. They did manage to defeat it, and they punched it out in the end, and brutally murdered the innocent mimic. He was just trying to get a meal. For
0: a mimic. Yeah, I, I've done yeah. mimics as doors before, and um, yeah. yeah, there's a whole load of items that people use all the time that a mimic could turn into and reasonably expect to find prey as, like.
1: A mimic is a torch? Can you imagine? Yeah. Just like oh, i going to get Oh god, no, my arm. Where's Absolutely. it gone?
0: Uh, mimics as trapdoors. Mimics as the floor, ceiling, or walls. Th- those oh do tend god, to exist. Yeah. Often, like a monster manual will have a variant of the mimic that like explicitly turns into the environment. Um, yeah. But consider like mutavault from Magic, because you know that things like the whole cave in the picture, like the whole cave is the is the Mutavolt. Maybe a mimic does that and you, you walk into the cave, and it's like the cave from Star Wars, and then suddenly the mimic eats you, and you have to fight your way out. That could happen. It would have to be a pretty big mimic or a pretty small cave, but that could happen. You can do it, yeah. I don't know. I I really no. like mimics that don't turn into tre- treasure chests, because treasure chest mimics are boring yeah. and predictable, and that's like the exact opposite of what mimics should be.
1: Yeah. Uh, when we have um, the... I remember in our game, there was that chest full of the... um coin monsters. Oh right,
0: yes. Um, if you go on Lomien de, you will find a monster called the Lock Lurker, which is a kind of like interdimensional scorpion, but with the body of a coin. Um, and the way you're supposed to use them is that like you put them on desks or something to like protect uh, you from protect your valuables from petty, petty burglars. And like the burglar comes in, sees the coin, thinks oh a coin, attempts to pick up the coin, and like the Lock Lurker like start, like stings them with the Uh, tail that it keeps in another dimension which is honestly the only ridiculous part of this monster and they're paralyzed and I looked at this and I thought well you know I could probably do a little bit better than that so what I did is on a level with like various other dangers in it I included a chest like the payroll chest and like you open the chest and it's full of like thousands of thousands of gold pieces and the players are like okay it's probably going to be kind of difficult for us to take this away but we can't pass it up it's just here so they like empty it out and try and stuff their like bags and pockets full of of these coins. Every single coin was a lock lurker. So there's just like this this <laughs> yeah. carpet of lock lurkers just scuttling towards you and like running up your arm and stinging you and you're paralysed.
1: Yeah. unless you're married, in which case you just shove both both hands in the chest with reckless yeah. abandon because you're a rogue <laughs> and just get
0: immediately paralysed.
1: Yeah, never live it down.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, So that's another thing, use existing monsters in unexpected ways, you know, maybe this kind of monster doesn't normally work in groups but it's somehow being forced to, so how does that change the strategic dynamic and how does it change how you come across it, you know? Maybe this monster does normally work in groups but currently isn't and is intelligent enough to know that it's going to get killed real quick if it just does its normal tactics. That's actually a really good way of, like, getting players to fight monsters that generally come in groups, but which, like, for which a group would be too high level for them, and it wouldn't feel fair. Be like, okay, there's one, it's a solitary one, and it's maybe going to behave a bit differently. There's a lot you can do with monsters, and also, we've talked about monsters and the environment, like, don't be afraid to have those two things work together. You can look up, um, oh, what's the story called, uh... It's uh, it it's the name of the guy I can't remember. Uh, yeah, you can look up um, Tucker's Cobolds for an example not only of how like enemies can behave a bit differently to keep them relevant, but also how enemies can interact with the environment in order to harass the players. It's a really good article to familiarise yourself with if you're worried that your encounters are becoming a bit too boring. Uh, do you have anything to say about that? Mm,
1: yeah, I I think um. You know, monsters, when you put them under a lot of stress or pressure, even creatures and animals, are going to react sometimes in unexpected ways, um, especially if they've been in captivity, um, which all of the examples that I'm thinking of are all really sad because I spent last night watching really sad nature documentaries like Blackfish and that one about the elephant that went on a rampage and had to be shot dead in Hawaii. Um, So I'm just thinking of really sad examples, but yeah. Creatures in captivity are under a lot of stress and sometimes react in unexpected ways and differently to how they would react in the wild, where they can just go away and remove themselves from certain situations.
0: Yeah, yeah. And of yep. course, like, sapient beings will react very unpredictably, because they're people, mm. honestly. Yeah. Um, you know, like they can think just like uh, you and I can, and, and therefore they have all the reasoning power we have, and they will try and do unexpected things, because they know that humans and human analogs generally don't adapt well to unexpected things. Of course, not that that always has to be the case. Maybe you have like a race that like adapt very well to a changing, like constantly changing environment, but don't really like learn anything long term. So doing the same thing again and again is the way to defeat them. But that's maybe getting a little uh, a little creative. Um, something I, I always like to think about in uh, for monsters though is how does this monster interact with its environment? And if there's a big plot hole as to how it does, then it's worth exploring. Um, In Dawn Sombra, I have dragons. Like, dragons aren't animals. I mean, they're they're sapient, so yeah, okay, they're they're not not quite animals. But also, like, dragons are basically demons that are native to the material plane. Because you look at a dragon and you think, this thing is way too fucking big to survive... (laughs) <laughs> in an ecosystem that is not composed almost entirely of other dragons of various sizes. Like mm. so to get around that I'm like, okay, dragons do not actually need to eat or drink or breathe anything. They just do to spite you.
1: Yeah. I I'm of the mind of what's the dragon horde for then? Obviously that's what they use for sustenance. Hmm. Uh depend a dragon horde can be various things. It can be gems and jewels and stuff like that, and gold. Or it could be books, but you shouldn't eat books, that's bad. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, a dragon that hoards things, and therefore that's what it gets its sustenance off, is material objects. Because I guess a dragon doesn't have to be an inherently natural creature, if that makes sense. Just because it kind of looks like a big lizard, why would it not have magical properties in of Hmm. itself? Um, Because they they do in uh, Asian folklore, so why not in Western folklore?
0: That's certainly something to consider. Um, my, personally, like, my I just... dragons, there's only ever been one dragon that has a dragon horde. Yeah. And he actually, like, uses it to pay people because his whole deal is manipulating other sapient beings. So he has a reason for it. But, like, otherwise, it's a perfectly reasonable question to ask. It's like, hey, dragon, you don't interact with society that values those materials at all. So why, why do you have it? And, like, a lot of the time if you look at, like, some of the source material for that kind of myth, it's like... It's a power thing because as long as the dragon yeah. has the dragon horde, people who yeah somebody else, else doesn't, doesn't have, have it. it yeah, and that's what's the the like the thing why they like it.
1: Dragons are literally evil capitalists. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> I'm gonna have all this money so the poor can't have it. I could give it all to charity, but I fucking won't. Sure, I could pay off like several student loans, but I'm not gonna. I'm gonna just sit on a giant pile of money and swim around in it like Scrooge McDuck. Hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um.
1: <clears throat> I wouldn't be surprised if one percenters need to eat the gold they accumulate, 'cause that would make sense. Mm.
0: <laughs> they do actually eat money.
1: <laughs> yeah. I
0: will take it with me in my bowel. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah, so. so... Do think about how and if a monster actually fits into the uh, ecosystem of its environment or whether like it's an invader because uh, it could be like rabbits because oh yeah there never used to be any rabbits in the UK and then yeah it was just yeah, hers, and then somebody bought rabbits and they started breeding everywhere and now we have native rabbits that has happened a fuck ton of Although, times
1: work generally okay in this country because with rabbits because we've got foxes. So that kind of works out. Yeah,
0: but we don't do that Um, shit anymore. Do you know that uh, as an island, we are rabies free? Obviously. Yeah. There are a whole lot of other rabies free islands um where we've all got, like, you can take an animal from one of us to the, the next. Like, there's Hawaii and Australia, Guam, I think, as well. And you can, like, move animals around between all of them because it's guaranteed they don't have rabies. But, like, otherwise. There are gonna be like border complications about like bringing animals into. a yeah. I I presume we have the same controls, and that's how we've been able to, like. Yeah. You know, keep that state. Well,
1: yeah. I mean, God, what is it in? I know there's a type of wasp in the UK which is damaging our already pretty dire honeybee population. Um, because they wear outside the hives and catch tired honeybees when they're coming back and just like straight up murder them in like mid flight. I mean, it looks really cool, but it's it's like no, we need those, um, yeah. And apparently, I think they're like like giant Asian hornets. Somewhat ridiculous. They've got a ridiculously scary name, um, and apparently, their stings deadly as well. Uh which just is wonderful. And you get it sometimes. Like, I had a friend who used to work in a su- We're getting really off topic. I had a friend who used to work in a supermarket. Um, and they have a whole list of things of what you do. If you find a foreign animal in with um, things like bananas, uh, and stuff like that.
0: I know what foreign animal you find <laughs> in with bananas.
1: Yeah, well, you know, like if you know, oh, here's our shipment of bananas from that country where bananas grow. Um, oh, oh, look, here's a massive fucking spider, and there's like, this, you know, like you get your shipment of bananas in from the Congo. Oh this is so oh, wrong
0: no i'm pretty <laughs> right. bananas happen
1: bananas ha- anyway so there's this, you know and what happens if there's a giant spider in there or another such creature because even if you let just one in it could still destroy a significant population we we have a massive UK. problem
0: off our coasts at the moment because boats go to japan and they pick up like they they set down cargo and then they they draw in seawater to use as ballast because obviously there's mm. a huge weight difference when they're normally carrying the cargo and they bring in tiny baby japanese spider crabs and then they get over back here and then they just dump all the ballast so that they can take on more cargo and then we have a fuck ton of spider crabs suddenly and that's bad we don't want that
1: mm, uh yeah <laughs> but Some it's a, a thing to consider they say um The brown rats we have in the UK are foreign invaders as well, aren't they? And they killed all the black rats, which is why we never had another outbreak of the plague, question mark?
0: Fuck divino.
1: Or was it the... Yeah, fuck divino. Like, you know, they say that lots of things aren't here. like
0: Squirrels. Uh, Grey squirrels squirrels wiping out our native red squirrels. Grey
1: squirrels. Fucking... I've seen, like, one red
0: squirrel in my entire life. There's, like, maybe six places in the whole of the UK where red squirrels still maintain viable populations. It's pretty sad.
1: It's pretty, pretty sad because red squirrels are really cute as well. Compared, to, like the grey squirrels. I think in the UK you're literally allowed to like go ham on grey squirrels. I'm not
0: sure if this is. I think it's like specific counties where that's the law, but yeah, I'm pretty sure i yeah. that. Yeah,
1: do not go out and start killing grey squirrels by any means. Don't do this. But allegedly, um, you know, we're not, we're not really that kind towards them because they're not really supposed to be here. Uh but yeah. I think I've only ever seen a red squirrel once and it was in captivity, which is really mm. sad.
0: No, I'm pretty sure I've, I have, like, seen one on a path, but no, the the red squirrel is is pretty vulnerable to its grey cousin just coming in and just shitting disease all over the place, or whatever yeah. it is that they're doing that's killing them all off.
1: Yeah, I, I, I mean, the way my dad made it sound like when I was younger is, like, the gray squirrels were literally coming over here and beating up the red squirrels, and I was like, that's not fair, though, Dad. Uh, and it was, yeah, these square squirrels coming over here, stealing our red squirrel jobs. Squirrels fall.
0: Jobs would squirrels have. Their CVs must be, like, absolutely terrible. They can't remember where they buried anything. <laughs> I mean, I would employ them because I, I would feel sorry for them because I also worry about being employable. But then I would employ yeah. a fuck ton of red squirrels and we'd be getting into some pretty. <laughs> weird shit at that point and I'd be starting to question whether I was in fact like half asleep in my bed at like six (laughs) o'clock in the morning which is generally when that sort of thing I perceive to happen to me
1: (laughs) Uh, yeah no I mean I think if you put a little like I think squirrels would be good builders I think if you put like a little hard hat on a red squirrel that looks really cute I
0: I don't I mean I agree I don't necessarily (laughs) know if cuteness while wearing a hard hat like translates into viable building ability I think we would probably have to ask a naturist or you no, know, not, not not a naturist could, we should have to ask a naturalist no natu- don't ask a naturist that question <laughs> <laughs> try not to ask a naturist anything <laughs> yeah. unless you also are a naturist in which case you probably know where to find one to ask
1: yeah I, I imagine naturists and uh, squirrels don't get on that well because you know nuts
0: I mean you went there not me Do you think there are naturists (laughs) who just, like, start to learn a whole load about animals because they're so annoyed with people asking them animal questions because they don't know the difference?
1: (laughs) Uh, Well, I mean, do you think naturalists start becoming nudists? I feel like um, that's the kind of
0: thing that really goes one way. Although possibly (laughs) naturalists, like try and make sure that they exist in a like a naturalist context just so that it's really easy to explain very quickly to people when they tell them that i'm a naturalist yeah it's but like have it's you true. ever seen <laughs> david attenborough not be like on somewhere like a disembodied voice or like in the middle of a jungle somewhere talking about something
1: i saw him on the one show once oh.
0: well that's the one show that's like but practically he was ta- wildlife he was... anyway
1: yeah he was talking about frogs oh, there you home, go so.
0: If you're in, in somewhere where you can't oh. immediately explain to people what the difference between a naturist and a naturalist is, you have to be talking about animals constantly, or naked, <laughs> one of the two, depending <laughs> on which you don't want to be confused with.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, Ups- yeah, 100%. Uh, if you are a naturist or a naturalist, or maybe you're both, um, tell us your stories and experiences tell in the comments. Tell Beth
0: your stories and experiences on her Twitter. <laughs> Unless you have, like, really cool animal facts, in which case it would probably be cool to tell us in the comments.
1: Yeah. Uh, also, if you could tell me where bananas come from, that would be fucking fantastic. I don't See, I was enough. I was going
0: to Google it, but then I thought, oh, hang on. Like, in that story you told, it, it was qu- qualified that bananas come from the place that giant fuck-off spiders come from. And now I'm scared <laughs> to Google where bananas come from.
1: <laughs>
0: uh... That would be a, a scary... I mean that research. was just
1: that was just an example, I think. No, um, no, that
0: that's a thing that happens. I can corroborate that. I, I know that okay, happens. I've that... been told that before.
1: Yeah, yeah, but uh, that's just one of those things. Uh um, we've widely veered off I, topic. I don't, I don't know I if feel we're necessarily
0: like... going to get back on. To be honest, um, uh, no. And there's probably enough here really to talk about this subject. I mean. Creatures and environments are not a thing that it's like incredibly difficult to get sorted out as long as you remember that golden rule. Why is this here? What does it want? You know, what 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 does, what does motivates this, this monster? Maybe it's just like a thrall of some other being. That's fine. But then that raises questions, who is the other being? You know, all of it leads somewhere. And if you can string that into your uh, campaign world, it'll all look a lot tighter knit together and there'll be a lot, fewer jumps that have to be made by your players and environments and creatures are just as good a place as any to inject that so this has been house of bards Uh, i have been alex i believe that after we finish recording i will continue to be alex and think possibly uh, i am alex right now this is beth it is beth it is always beth
1: it has always been beth it has never been anyone else i am eternal i am always there at the beginning at the end
0: one day, Beth will kill us all.
1: At uh, the never was.
0: <laughs> it's very <laughs> awkward. <clears throat> um, if you want to contact us, uh, our Twitter and Tumblr are, or mine, uh, are both Cleaver Crumish. that is uh, spelt clever, crumb, as in a crumb of bread, and then Ish on the end. And Beth is Baroness Banff. Mm-hmm. I will Baroness spell those Banff. in the description um, for your... No. Uh, for your
1: I'm not actual royalty, unfortunately, but my birthday is coming up soon. So if you want to buy me a bar- like a a some sort of royalty thing, because you can, you can,
0: you Absolutely can definitely how do the that. I'll be very happy. I mean, if, there's some people there's some countries it is. who believe that there's a very, very, uh, very important distinction between this particular kind of of buying. Uh, you know, some people say, well, you see, uh, buying is a slang term. Uh, it's, it's really called uh, bribery. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's also very difficult. They have found to do it to the queen because she does tend to have yeah, quite well, a lot of money.
1: Well, yeah, but like that, there, there are like micronations and stuff like that 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 sell like their lordships and stuff like that. Um, like Sealand is one of them. Sealand sells lordships. I would love to be a baroness of Sealand. If,
0: if would you ever visit Sealand if you it, became so a baroness birthed. of Sealand?
1: Yeah, sure. It's not very big. It's only ten yeah, kilometers wide.
0: But I'm just imagining like you visiting Sealand in like a helicopter.
1: <laughs> I don't know if a helicopter could fit on there. I-, I
0: believe that there are helicopters that are less than ten kilometers wide. Right, okay. I-, I mean, I don't know if I've seen a huge number of helicopters in my life, but I'm pretty sure that that is a thing.
1: Yeah. Well no, I, I would visit Sealand if-, if someone made me a baroness it- legitimately.
0: Fair enough. Please don't buy me yeah. any honours for anywhere. Um I have enough problems without becoming one of the bourgeoisie more than I am currently. (laughs) With that, uh, before we get hugely off topic again, um, the music for House of Bards is by Kevin McLeod. We've had a lot of weird editing screw-ups this week, so I have not yet decided what the album art is going to be, but I will put attribution for it in the comments of the YouTube video and probably in the description of anywhere else that this gets posted with that album art uh so yeah for further episodes keep subscribed to this channel might be posted other places but this is where we will definitely be posting all the time Mm. and we will speak to you uh hopefully in a bit more organized way next week
1: Mm, next week we think it might be fantasy tropes are we doing Um, that
0: we can do that if you like i know you you want to do that uh, that episode yeah we can definitely definitely do that um Mm-hmm. I think you'd have to take the lead on that one too. That would be fine. It would okay. be Okay, so those of you who think I talk too much and there should be a Beth-led episode, <laughs> look out for that coming up because that's going to be a thing.
1: Yep, you th- just just remember that you you brought yourself, you brought this on yourself. Beth-led episode, brought it on yourself, listeners, brought it on yourself. Okay, sure. Podcast is over now. Bye. <laughs>
0: I mean, obviously, this is the content that you came for. It's not like you came here for, like, pictures of Spider Man. <laughs> if you did come here for pictures of Spider Man, then I'm sorry, but you're not going to get any. Yeah. Like, the image of 60s Batman villains from the villains episode is probably the closest you're ever going to get.
1: Unless we ever do common superhero tropes episode, because you can roleplay superhero games, and I would love that episode.
0: <laughs> okay, common superhero tropes episode. Pretty much any superpower with an interpersonal component is also a fetish. There we go. <laughs> Episode done. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> you know it's true. It's,
1: yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know what Classic Wonder Woman was like.
1: I know what Classic Wonder Woman was like. Although she well,
0: like barely had any of, of those kinds of powers.
1: That's true. Although those were just the covers, on the inside it was very No, fun. no,
0: there is a sequence from the inside. There is literally a sequence where a ton of people on Themyscira do this weird shit where, like, half of them dress up as deer and then get, like, caught and skinned, air quotes, and put into a giant fucking pie. That is a thing that happens in classic Wonder Woman. It's on my Tumblr somewhere if somebody wants to look for it.
1: Okay, Uh, that is kind of true. Marston was a very interesting man. Sure. He was! He was a very clever, interesting man who... Was also a bit kinky, and that's fine. Okay, he's he's by far one of the most interesting classic comic book creators, in my opinion. I mean, I'm not calling Bob Kane and um, the blokes who created Superman shit or uninteresting or anything. They were very interesting men in their men in their own right. Just Marston was into a lot of really kinky sex. And if, if that's what I think makes a person interesting, that's my issue.
0: We're learning a lot about Beth <laughs> this episode.